this is Rosie Tillis and Andres Hernandez, Duke Plastic Surgery residents with The Resident Review, a plastic surgery podcast. Today, we are joined by our guests, Drs. Ilya and Mark Leingold. Dr. Ilya Leingold is an oculoplastic surgeon here at Duke, and his twin brother, Dr. Mark Leingold, is a plastic surgeon at the University of Florida. Um, to introduce Dr. Ilya Leingold, he um, went to medical school at Johns Hopkins University, then stayed there for residency in ophthalmology, uh, and then completed a fellowship in oculoplastics in Salt Lake City, Utah. After uh, leaving Utah, he went to the University of South Florida, where he was the uh, previous director of oculoplastics there, and he's uh, now an attending oculoplastic surgeon here at uh, Duke University. To introduce Dr. Mark Leingold, he went to medical school at Florida State University, and then completed a residency in uh, plastic surgery at the University of Nevada. After plastic surgery residency in Nevada, he completed a microsurgical and breast fellowship in Rochester, New York, and then a body contouring and aesthetic fellowship at the University of Florida. Uh, the Langolds, we're very excited to talk to them today because they've actually recently decided to leave their respective large academic centers and pursue a joint private practice in Boise, Idaho. And I know, you know, through residency, we get a lot of um, a lot of introduction into the lifestyle of academic medicine and all the things that come along with that. But we don't see a lot of other paths. And I think it's really interesting to hear kind of your journey and how you got here. So um, my, my first question that I've been holding back is why Boise? That was a decision that that didn't happen overnight. Uh, I think, uh, you know, for a while we did have a dream to have a, to be in practice together and we're thinking about different areas, uh, such as Tampa, you know, uh, even North Carolina crossed, crossed our mind. And um, just so happened that uh, one trip to Yellowstone kind of changed uh, our perspective and, and changed our vision of where we want to practice. Um, you know, as a matter of fact, one of my best friends who is a PhD in business lives in Boise, Idaho. He was always interested in running a medical practice, and he kind of gave me the idea of, you know, if you guys come here, this would be a great place to practice. So we started looking more and more into that area, and we fell in love with the nature. We thought the economy was booming. We thought that for the type of cases that we like to do, which is a lot of reconstruction there, it's uh, the market is wide open because those services aren't readily available in places like Boise, Idaho right now. Um, and it's a very fast growing city. So so kind of all those things uh, compounded. And on top of that, my brother's in-laws moved to Boise, Idaho to bought a house there. And uh, it just kind of worked out where we thought this that was a great place. I don't know if Ellie can add anything to that. No, that sums it up. If I could just ask, even from a little bit of a higher level, if you guys could just touch on maybe, you know, what led you, uh, what, what led you to making this decision, um, going away from your respective academic centers and then uh, deciding to go into private practice. I think it's, I think it's a very interesting um, move. And um, I think everybody has something to learn from, from those, from that decision-making process. Yeah. So, so I can try to tackle that one. It's, it's very, you know, it's very difficult um, to have a, um, I, I, for most, I think, have a great vision when they finish residency in terms of what the rest of their career should look like or, or, or um, how, um, you, you know, you want to structure your career. Uh, you know, for, for both of us, and, and Mark will correct me if I'm wrong, you know, we wanted to get as much experience as possible 
get our feet wet. We were excited to do complex cases to work with residents to teach. But what happens at some point is, is that I, I think you, you gain the competency, you gain the confidence to do the complex skills. Um, you still enjoy teaching, but you realize that the opportunities to do so, um, to teach um, the, uh, in the community as well. So, um, you know, they're, they're, they're medical students, they're residents, they're fellows that you could work with as, as a private practitioner if you wanted to. So, so I think we both sort of gotten to this point. I think I got to this point a little bit earlier than Mark because Mark finished training, um, you know, a couple of years after me since he, he did eight years, you know, with fellowships and minus six. <laughs> but regardless, you know, we kind of both came to this point and, and, and we're kind of ripe to um, pursue uh, something that we actually talked about for a long time, but weren't quite ready because we, we, we wanted to kind of really get the, uh, the skill set and the experience that I don't think private practice would offer uh, if we started um, in that arena right off the bat. Yeah, I completely agree. If I can add my two cents, um, you know, uh, I would echo everything Elliot just mentioned. Um, he's he's my better half. And, you know, if you if you want to to hear someone eloquently speak and uh, you know express the ideas better than talk to him, because I, I you know he's always better at that. But uh, what I would say is is you know. Um, when you get out of residency or fellowship, you're a lot of times, you know, when you get a job, you get a paycheck, you're happy with that. Um, as you get more comfortable, you start looking at other things. You know, for example, you know, as an employee physician, you may not have, you may not have much say uh, as far as the type of staff you want to hire or fire, uh, the way you would like to structure your practice, the type of insurance you want to take or not take, type of products you can use. For example, if you know, you want to use, say, the new ideal implant that's out there. Well, in prior practice, you could just order it, right? You talk to the rep you ordered here. A lot of times you have to go through that committee because they'll question you, well, why, you know, why would you want to use this type of implant versus, say, silicone C-entry implant? And you kind of have to justify it. So it, they're a little bit red tape. Now things do get done. And eventually, you know, if you have a good reason why you want to use something, it does happen. But you know, you have a lot of, a little bit of a red tape uh, that you may not have in private setting. <laughs> and, and so, and so um, it's, you know, you, you know, that, that sometimes gets, you know, gets a little old and you kind of want to have a little more control. Um, and obviously that comes with the price where you don't have the security of, you know, a big corporation um, and you're not, you know, what's called like an you know, ivory tower physician um, where, you know, in, in times of crisis, such as, you know, with, with COVID or economy, uh, you know, crash, you obviously have that security being academics. However, you know, you do give up a lot of control, uh, which, which, you know, um, does become important, I feel like for most uh, at least in my experience, as you get more senior uh, in academic setting uh, or working for a corporation. Yeah, that was one of the things that Andres and I had talked about kind of before is that it's going to be a very different working environment. Um, and, you know, it sounds like in terms of the control you have over the products you use and the people you hire, um, you know, I know like hours may be different. Are there any other major changes in your working environment that you all are looking forward to? Just the ability to work together for us. 
I mean, it's, it's, uh, I mean, Mark has been a great resource for me and um, I've been a resource for him and uh, being able to work uh, together and potentially do cases together and, um, you know, make joint decisions um, uh, is very special to us. Um, we, you know, we grew up together. We went to college together. We shared an apartment. We shared a car. We shared a phone until medical school. And then all, all kind of, we, we went our own um, individual paths. Um, but now I feel like it's time to reunite. And it's actually been great because we've been able to build our own identities in our own specialties and, and sets of uh, skills that com can complement um, each other rather than kind of taking the same path. So it's really neat, I think, for us because we, you know, we, we kind of were the same person and then for 20 years, we were molding a, a different, uh, into, we were molding ourselves in, in different people. And then now we can reunite and complement those skills. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. That's, I think I'm most looking forward to that is, is just working with my brother. I mean, I think it's been a dream, dream of mine and his to kind of, you know, if any, you know, you know, to, to kind of be together and work together because we just were our biggest fan and support We've always been, you know, like that um, through high school sports, of, you know, just through college, just everything. So it's kind of nice, almost like a, like, like, you know, 20 years later, like you reunite and can build something together, you know? Um, and, you know, I, I you know, I, I love his, his family and, and children and everybody and then being close to them too means a lot. Um, I would say in more general terms, uh, you know, the, there is gonna, there are going to be some, you know, uh, differences. Uh, you know, there, there are some pros and cons, obviously. You know, for example, you know, when you're in academics right now, you know, as soon as you start, those referrals keep pouring in, right? You just automatically get referrals. Well, private practice may not be like that. You know, you have to go out there in the community. You have to, you have to show yourself. You have to talk to people. You have to market yourself so you know it doesn't automatically happen like in academics um, the other thing is you know there'll be you know unfortunately whether we you know um uh, whether whether we want to acknowledge it or not medicine is a business and running a practice is a business that costs money there's overhead there you know you have to pay staff so you know you know, right now I work for non-for-profit non organization. University of Florida is non-for-profit. I can do Medicaid cases. I can I can do, you know, a free flap uh, that's redo, redo, redo for 10 hours and I get paid $300 for it. It doesn't matter, you know, because it's non-for-profit. I get a paycheck. Not saying that, you know, obviously like, we're helping patients and I, and I love doing that. And I, I love doing complex microsurgery, but in private practice, if I start doing that a lot, you know, I'm going to go, we're going to go out of business. <laughs> if I'm doing a, you know, realistically, you know, a, a $500 flap, uh, you know, for 10 hours, um, you know, that's, that's unfortunately, uh, even if the patient needs help and, and I'm, I want to help them, it's just, it's not really something that I, I may be able to afford unless I get, we get some sort of carbots or something like that. Uh, so that's definitely going to be going to be a change. You know, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a, you know, it comes down to collections, not just RBUs, if that makes sense. Um, so, I mean, um, social media, you know, website optimization, community outreach will become super important. I feel like uh, where right now everything is done for us, you know, that at least for me, in University of Florida, you know, the 
all the marketing and stuff like that is monopolized by the university, which is which is you know how how they want to do things because it's a corporation and we're the employees. Does that make sense? It does. And I think that the the idea or the question of how you're going to build your practice or where you get that information from, marketing, and um, employee retention, those are all things that I think Rosie and I wanted to uh, briefly touch on with, with um, both of you. I think just circling back to building your practice and where to get that information from, um, I just, I think Rosie and I both have a question of, is there any resource or maybe a roadmap that you and uh, your brother have used in starting your own practice it seems kind of like a daunting task and we would love to hear your thoughts on that so i think you know people do it differently and, and uh, different personalities you know i like i kind of think back to medical school i some of my classmates would study for step two in the week and then get a 260 and then you know i was sort of preparing it for two years and then spend like the whole summer studying for it and i still did well on it but for me, you know, this was something, a very thorough process. So I think you first, you have to ask yourself, what is my stress tolerance? What is my personality? How much time do I need to prepare? And I think those are the kind of the first things you should ask yourself, right? Because it is a, it is a, it is a lot, you know, it's a lot to think about. It's a lot to, it's a, it's a lot of time that you're going to spend, you know, thinking and, and planning this. Um, but some people can do it very fast and, and, you know, relatively fast and, and because they can just plow nights and weekends and some people can't, right? So for me, you know, um, this was a process I started working on since like really fellowship because I always knew that this was going to be a transition. And so I was accumulating information and I was talking to my colleagues who did it. And I think the most, the, the most uh, valuable resource are going to be your colleagues who have successfully done so. And um, building those relationships and building those networks are going to be critical. It's also going to be your mentors, uh, people who you know you potentially worked with in private practice, and you establish relationships who can then help you. Uh, hopefully, you're not you're not setting up practice right next door to them, but um, but let's say if you're in a different city or a different state, uh, a lot of people you'll be surprised will reach out and and will, will spend a lot of time with you uh, discussing. Uh, various aspects of setting up a practice. I mean, I literally spent hours and hours with, with with at least one of my friends, kind of talking about and asking, picking picking his brain about you know different vendors, different um, resources, and I learned tremendous amounts from from that. Um, it also is is would be beneficial to do a fellowship if you're going to do if you if you are going to do a fellowship in a private practice setting, because you can take that if it's a, a successful private practice, you can take that model. And you can incorporate a lot of the a lot of those aspects into your own practice. And that you know, I was fortunate that you know my fellowship was um, in, in mostly in private practice uh, in, in Utah. And so uh, I, I I'm still utilizing a lot of those resources. It's just the, the level of efficiency, the level of the 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 the, the economy of like the, how you can you can take something and make it a lot more cost efficient compared to you know an academic medicine where no one cares you know, how many sutures you use, right? Nobody cares of how many needles you use. It's a very different ballgame. And, and you learn these things by being in that environment. And, and there's nothing like being a fellow in that environment and you're taking that information away from that, from that fellowship. But Mark, there's, there's a lot more to add, but I'll have Mark, uh, you know, add um, what, what his thoughts. 
No, that, that, that's perfectly said. I mean, I'll, I'll just go into a little more specifics because I, I know, you know, a lot of times residents want to know, well, what, what exactly, what exactly do you, where do you get the information? You know, that's, that's kind of what, where, you know, a lot of residents and or fellows or new attendings want to know. Well, the few, the few, like everything Elliot just mentioned, obviously colleagues and, and prior experiences, um, there are a few other sources that, or multiple other sources that I personally looked at and I know Ilya looked at. So for example, um, in, in the, we're lucky as, as plastic surgeons that we have, you know, resources from uh, ASPS. Uh, if you go on um, ASPS website, um, they have multiple uh, practice management resources. Uh, for residents, it could be a discounted price or free, you know, such as uh, toolkits and, um, you know, informed consents. They can order, you know, uh, anything from uh, photographic, you know, how to, how to take f- uh, photos appropriately, you know, and, and, and uh, it's step-by-step process. Also, so there are multiple books. I'm sure you guys are familiar with Business of Plastic Surgery by uh, Joshua Corman and Furnace. Um, there's another uh, practice management book that I, I read by Christian Rayner. Um, who is a, I think he is a internal medicine physician um, who uh, uh, wrote a book um, just in, in general terms about how to start a practice, how to run a practice. There's another book by Richard uh, Shore, I believe. Uh, it's called Suddenly Solo. Um, SPS actually has a consulting company called PS2, Okay. And they essentially, like, for example, if you get out of training and you say, well, you know what, I don't know how, how, to, how to open a practice. And I'm not sure if I want to, you know, kind of go through all this soul searching and reading and stuff like that. You can actually hire them and they'll set pretty much everything for you. They're fairly expensive, but I heard really good things about them. Um, they also have options so they can do everything from start to finish. I've kind of looked into that, but since, you know, Ilya had already a lot of knowledge and I was kind of in practice for a while, we just kind of decided to do a lot of things on our own, but you can literally hire them for the entire process. They are also, you can also buy hours where you buy, like say 10 hours of their time, where if you have questions, you can shoot questions to them and they'll like walk you through different processes. Um, there's the podcasts, like, uh, you know, there's, as you, as you know, there are a lot of podcasts now, like, and, you know, uh, ASBS has a podcast called Enhance Your Practice Podcast. Phenomenal podcast. I follow it. Uh, they, you know, frequently invite speakers kind of like you guys, and they kind of go over different topics. Um, and obviously your colleagues. In general terms, uh, you know, you want to start out having a business plan. Okay. Uh, you want to think about how are you going to open the practice? How are you going to afford it? Well, a good way is to get a line of credit. Okay, unless you have a lot of savings and can afford everything yourself, but it, it's hundreds of thousands of dollars to open a pra- practice. Sometimes, before you you go, go into positive and start making money, you gotta have a line of credit. So you gotta get with the bank, get a line of credit. Um, it, it's both for you know office lease of, of buying and opening up your practice. So that's another thing. You know, you gotta find an office space. All right, are you gonna lease or are you gonna buy? You're gonna make those decisions, and there are also tenant brokers that can help you with that. Okay. There are companies. Um, you got to think about insurance contracts. You know, are you going to contract with insurance? Which ones? Are you going to contract with Medicaid? Um, so that's, they're also consulting companies that can help you with that. The website, um, you know, build your own website, you know, hire somebody to build your website and do it yourself. 
um, you know, and then hiring employees and marketing and so forth. So those are the things that are kind of like, I don't know if that's helpful or not, but those one are the thing, things. One thing that, you know, I, I was, I was pretty scared uh, to be honest with you, you know, um, doing this, you know, see within my, my first five years of practice, um, and I became a little bit more confident as, as you know, beyond that point, because I realized that there's so many resources out there. I mean, it's amazing. There's so many vendors. There's so many resources. You actually get uh, more information, more resources than you need. So we have a lot of choices. So there, there's there's just incredible amount of infrastructure that that's out there to set up your own practice. I think it's just a matter of um, you know, taking initiative and, and looking for it, right? And not talking to people, talking to your colleagues, you know, using your, uh, you know, um, society uh, resources, etc. So, um, so the resources are out there. Another, just one last thing I want to add, you know, when you get out of training, you know, there's most people have a lot of debt and have, you know, and don't have a lot of money saved up. So I do think, I mean, again, it, it's, it's, I'm biased in that respect, but I do think it's it's wise to have low debt, low personal debt, because it's it's going to be hard to acquire loans or lines of credit from banks and other entities if you are in debt and if you don't have any money. So so it's good to pay off your loans. You know, maybe get initially get a job in a corporation or academic center or you know, private, multi-specialty private practice. You know, live um, frugally. Um, you know, pay off, pay off your debts, save up some money. And then I think you'll feel a lot more comfortable and confident and you'll have a lot more resources to, uh, to, to set up a practice. Uh, again, just my bias, people have done all kinds of things, right. And, and you'll see the residents going out on their own, but that's, that's a tough, that's a tough road. And, and, and it's hard to do it without having good savings. And, 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 um, you know, if you have, if you have high debt. Yeah, it sounds like the kind of a well thought out plan with all these resources that are around you is, is really important. And, you know, in, in specifically within that plan, are there any like, you know, I know marketing is a huge part of it. And then like choosing your procedures are a huge part of it. Are there any like marketing strategies or procedural strategies um, in terms of kind of allocating your time that you guys are looking forward to or that you've decided are kind of the best ways to go forward with your practice? I think it's still a learning process, to be honest with you, because we are, you know, we're kind of like, you know, a, a couple of months away from, you know, well, about three or four months away from a start date. So I think, so I think, you know, ultimately, you know, what matters is what works, right? Like there are all these strategies, but what will actually be, what will, whatever will be more productive will be the, the probably strategy going forward. Now, uh, what we were thinking about is, um, you know, obviously marketing through our website, um, you know, giving talks to physicians in the area, you know, that, that, you know, meeting physicians for lunch, meeting non-physicians for lunch, you know, like, um, you know, uh, be PAs or, you know, just healthcare providers in the community. Uh, that's, you know, that, that can also be uh, very helpful. Um, uh, you know, just, just, you know, they're, they're, Google ads you can do there there's you know, TV ads again um, there are many ways to, to do marketing um, and and I think I think you just have to figure out probably what works you know obviously there's like old school word of mouth uh, you know somebody knows someone and you're kind of you know people hear about you so 
but you'll have to see. You have to look at the conversion rate. Ultimately, that's that's where that's where you're gonna really know what works. You know, like Instagram, for example. If you're if you're marketing Instagram, well, if you only get one person a year from all the marketing you do on Instagram, you're spending hours on there. Maybe that's not the most effective way of doing it. Versus if you go to a hair salon and you talk to, you know, to you know, a couple of couple of people and then you get three abdominoplasties or something or hogs after you know from that that world you know, that, that worked pretty well so yeah i mean i think i think it's really about building relationships and it's and it's you know it's like that in in every you know job i feel like in, in medicine and then probably other fields and networking and and just and just really i think being um honest with yourself what you can and cannot do safely and what what you can and cannot offer safely and doing a really good job for each patient really taking care of each patient because it's it's um it, it becomes a, a a snowball effect you know once you take care of a few people and you do a nice job uh, uh you know they tell their friends they tell their relatives and and there's nothing like someone who's had you know the surgery and has got an excellent outcome telling you know, your friend, uh, their friend or their relative about the procedure. And, you know, you, you even see that in academics. I mean, you know, when you, a lot of times, you know, when you even start in academics, you think you have an inbuilt referral system, but sometimes you come in and you get just trauma and you get, you know, just the cases that no, nobody else wants to do as a junior. And so you still have to build your practice. So um, sure. again, I think, I think it's, I think it goes for, for either practice setting that, you know, really taking care of your patients, really patients really trying to do a good job, really, you know, following up with uh, on their care. And, um, you know, you, you'll get all kinds of cases. And, and another thing too, is, 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 is not being too picky. I feel like, you know, there's some people who I just, I just want to do, you know, blepharoplasty, you know, I guess in my field, and I'm sure in your field, it's, you have similar, similar situations. And the problem with that attitude is, for one, you, your other skills atrophy. So, God forbid, those blepharoplasties go down. And what are you going to do with your life? Uh, but another problem, another issue too, is that you know you'd be surprised that you know you, you'd say you close laceration on someone and you do something else, and then they're like, "What about these bags under my eyes? When are you going to fix that, doctor?" Or something else. Yeah. Or they tell their or tell their relatives about you, and, and even trauma. I mean, so things just just initially, I think, going out and and doing a lot of stuff and and and. And that's, that's the importance of good training, you know, doing a good job. And then, you know, and then you can, over time, you can focus and narrow down, you know, on, on things. Um, but initially, I feel like, you know, if you're too picky and if you're, if you're not available, if you don't want to do, you know, kind of complex things that I, I think that um, it, it's, it's hard, it's a harder road. And I think there's less yeah. security there. And, and, and to echo, I mean, I 100% agree. And, you know, there's three A's of success, you know, uh, being available, affable, able. Well, I would say available is most important, right? Because if you're, you know, if your colleagues call you and you're like, yeah, I'm not sure if I can make it, you know, the, you, know you gotta be available. And then the, and um, you know, that's, that's important, you know? Um, and don't forget about reconstruction, you know, because like I said, even if you want to have an aesthetic practice, uh, you know, like for example, you know, doing breast reconstruction is great for us, you know, for, for, to build a, even aesthetic practice. A lot of those patients become your aesthetic patients over time. It's definitely something that I've, I've heard around as well, that being available and some of those trauma patients or those reconstructive patients will come back. Um, so in, in talking a little bit about specific, uh, procedures or, or to me, at least it seems almost like an infectious, uh, passion that you guys have for working with one another and, 
uh, both from the business standpoint, but I imagine in the operating room as well. Uh, do you guys see yourselves working together in the operating room? And, and if so, maybe on uh, what kind of procedures you look forward to working with uh, one another and, and maybe even what procedures in the long term you might want to focus on individually? Sure. So I can, I can try it. So, you know, the nice thing about, <clears throat> so I'm, you know, I'm in a different umbrella than Mark, right? So, so, so the nice thing about that is for insurance cases, let's say if we're doing a, a, a you know, multiple procedures uh, that, you know, um, uh, in one setting, then um, it's, a, it's a different reimbursement system than, let's say, if I were or Mark alone were doing all these procedures. And so what happens normally is, let's say you are a surgeon and you're doing, uh, like as a plastic surgeon, you're doing five different, you, you put five different codes and, you know, you, you get 100% of the first code and then you get 50% of the second one and then you get 25% of the third and fourth and then you get nothing for the fifth, right? But the, different, the difference here is that since we're different specialties, I can say, well, let's say I'm doing this eyelid reconstruction, Mark is doing the excision of the cheek lesion. I'm just throwing it out there or, or something else. And, and I can get 100% of, of that code and Mark can get 100% of the second code, right? And, uh, or, or you can do, you know, there's, there's co-surgeons too, which again, sometimes you have to be different specialties to, to bill for, let's say if it's one code for, for, the, uh, for the procedure. And so, so right now, you know, it, you know I'm not incentivized uh, to have a lot of joint surgery, although I, I enjoy it. You know, I really enjoy working with, you know, uh, with your department and with, you know, with neurosurgeons and stuff, but it's, but it's very difficult and there's, there's less incentive, uh, but we have a lot more incentive to do so, especially in the beginning, you know, when we're not probably very busy. And so procedures like, for example, corneal neurotization, you know, I do, I do a lot of corneal neurotization. I do it by myself now, but having Mark, you know, um, you know, he can harvest a sural nerve and, you know, I can prepare the, the eyelid, you know, the, the, the superorbital nerve for, for, as a donor and, you know, but we can, we can maximize this as, as for one to, to better the patients and provide the best care to the patients having, you know, expertise of, you know, myself and, and Mark as a plastic surgeon, as well as, um, you know, uh, read the financial benefit that normally uh, I wouldn't get from that one particular procedure, especially um, because, um, you know, uh, we probably won't be booking, you know, 10 cases a day, you know, the first year, right? So we may have like a few cases a week. And so we'll have some time to, to kill it. Now, once, as we get busier, I, I, I imagine that'll be a little bit more, more difficult uh, to, to coordinate, but, but at least in the beginning, I think this is something that we can collaborate on. Or even, for example, I'm doing a blepharoplasty and a brow lift and Mark will do a facelift and a, and a, and a neck lift. And for me, that would be great because it, this, those are very long cases. And, you know, like I'll, I'll be tired after my, <laughs> my portion and Mark can take over and finish up with, and, and it'll be better for the patient, uh, certainly because, you know, you have somebody fresh coming in and, you know, not, not having done, you know, two hours of surgery, you know, before that. So anyway, just, just a few examples. Um, and, but, but I think, but I think we can, you know, think of probably a lot more. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, obviously it would have to be, you know, the, the, if, if, if to answer your question about combined case, it would have to be something within the head and neck. Um, I wish Ilya could help me with the DIP flaps, but I don't think <laughs> it, it would be, uh, Too close for some, you. Yeah. yeah. Um, PA. But, but I think definitely, you know, with head and neck, it's, it's kind of fair game, either reconstructive or aesthetic procedures. And I, I have a lot of interest in facial plastics as well as the head and neck stuff. 
Um, I do have a passion for, you know, breast surgery, especially breast reconstruction, breast aesthetics. So I would like to focus my practice, you know, at least partially uh, on that. Um, that's something that I do a lot in University of Florida. You know, we kind of built a pretty robust uh, autologous breast reconstructive service as well as, you know, implant and all that's based on plastic. So I would like to continue doing those cases. Um, and then otherwise, just probably primarily focus on facial plastics where I could coordinate with my brother uh, and then the full spectrum of it, both aesthetic and reconstructive, as well as likely, um, you know, uh, as, you know, body aesthetics and so forth. So that's like it'll be a good mix of cases for sure. Um, and I know, you know, we kind of spoke about how it's it's going to be a little bit of a different environment working together working outside of these huge academic centers. And also I think, you know, in terms of working with other people um, and specifically having your own employees now, how do you guys anticipate that that's going to be different? Like knowing that you now can like manage these people and you have direct control over who you hire and, and the kind of personalities that you work with. We're fortunate that we have a very close friend who you know will be our first employee. Mark mentioned him in the beginning. Um, and he'll he'll be the uh, kind of managing um, a lot of the business aspects uh, or help us manage a lot of the business aspects of the practice. We we are going to hire one more person um, who is going to be a receptionist slash medical assistant. Uh, and um, you know um, th- it's always a challenge you know to hiring people and and where do you hire them and and and, and especially you know you're moving to a different state you know where do you get this 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 uh, person. Um, we have a few potential, um, uh, you know, resources uh, to draw from. Uh, for example, Mark mentioned there's a consulting company that helps hire um, uh, staff for physician offices that we're working with. So yes, it's a little bit expensive, but you know, if you're going to a new place, that may be an option. You know, um, we have some connections, you know, in the in the area too that you know can lead you know to potential employees. But you know, once you once you hire a person, I mean, it's, I think it's important. To have the resources prepared uh, to ensure, you know, proper uh, training, proper expectations, you know, proper administrative HR issues, and so luckily, you know, I, I have acquired a few resources, uh, you know, from um, you know my colleagues that I've, I've referred to earlier in, for for HR, you know, such as like employment agreements and uh, training manuals. Um, kind of idea for salary, the, the amount of you know paid time off. Um, and um, so we have those resources avail- readily available to us. So, um, you know, so, so in terms of just kind of getting that person oriented and um, knowing, um, you know, uh, sort of what paperwork to, to use for, for, for that uh, step, I, I think we have most of that available. I mean, we, we, we are going to have to meet with a accountant, you know, and, 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 and an attorney to sort of make sure everything is um, you know, properly laid out. But, uh, but again, Mark also mentioned that, you know, ASPS has a, has a resource too for, for staff hiring. Um, I think it's called, was it? Uh, uh, a, Toolkit. Uh, Toolkit. Yeah. Faculty. Tool, I mean, uh, Faculty. Yeah, yeah. So, so that, that's also an option, but, but I think, a combination of those resources would be would be good, and you know I think it's I think it's a learning process. I mean I think I think it's naive to think that you're going to hire the you know that one person and they're going to be with you for years. I mean I think it's 
you know, likely going to be um, the probably the most challenging portion of of the of of being um, yeah, self-employed. You know, you know, you train someone, you put a lot of work into it, the resources, and then they leave after a few months, right? Um, so, so staff retention, I I, I imagine, will be a challenge, and 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 finding staff, qualified staff, will be a challenge. But you know, our philosophy is to you know, if you hire someone good and good and someone reliable, you have to pay them well. You have to have incentives. You know, you you I think I think you start out at a kind of average salary, but you have to have really good incentives um, to uh, for them to to be motivated and, and and be interested in the job. I think in in keeping with the that, that comment on on employee retention, one of the things that of course we see here uh, in the hospital, and I, I imagine it happens at every major academic center, is that high high volume of of Turnover specifically with scrub nurses, scrub techs, and um, nurses nurses really throughout um, the system. I, I would love to hear um, maybe even a little bit of, of specifics on how you you guys think that you might be able to maximize retention and how you'd be able to navigate um, a challenge in the way of high turnover in, in some of your employees. That's a that's an excellent question and. Um... And I, I was going to say, talk to me uh, about a year, two years from now. <laughs> I'll give you a better answer because, uh, you know, completely honestly, that since, since I have been in academics pretty much all my career, except for also did a fellowship, actually. And my microsurgery fellowship was in prior practice. But but I spent, you know, majority of, well, all of my uh, attending years in academics. So I, I hear you. I, I hear exactly what you're saying as far as high turnover. and. But I know I'm not even as a medical director, um, you know, I'm not directly involved, um, you know, with hiring, firing employees. A lot of times they want my evaluation, uh, but I don't really create the rules. I don't I don't I'm not part of the HR, to be honest with you, and I don't create their compensation package or incentivize them. So that will be a learning curve. I mean, to be honest with you, I guess, you know, what I what I can say is that um, I, I feel like, you know, to retain employees, you have to make them feel valued. I mean, you have to make them feel appreciated and that, that not just monetary value. It has to do with like, you know, pay time off, you know, to try to, you know, give them a say, make them part of the practice and, and not be, I feel like, you know, my way or the highway, you know, have them feel like they can make um they, they they have a say and they can also uh, change certain things and, and they will be listened to i think that's important you know to make to make people feel important you know uh, but as far as exact strategy specific strategy i think like elia mentioned definitely some sort of um, you know incentivized uh you know um, reimbursement compensations or incentivized uh, compensation so they're motivated to take good care of patients um and also you know hopefully some sort of like you know um benefit package you know maybe not right away you know with with all the 401k and stuff like that but eventually provide a good benefit package though so you know um, employees feel like they do have a do, do get a good deal, you know, with pay time off, with um, you know, um, retirement plans, med- you know, health insurance. I think I think that would be also important because uh, I think you know most people value those things. Um, so, kind of looking into the future, I know we we definitely are excited to hear from you um, once you guys get up and running and everything. But 
as we're about to start this journey, what are you most excited for? And, and I guess, what are you also most fearful of as you're starting this, this part of your journey? We, we're definitely excited to be together and work together. We mentioned that we, you know, we're excited to um, kind of start, at least I'll speak for myself and, and Mark may, you know, echo or, or, you know, say what, what he feels he, he's most excited, most excited for. But um, for me too, it's, it's very nice to sort of do the things the way I want them, like get the instruments that I want, not to have to argue with anyone that like, oh, I need this. It's like, why do you need it? Like, because I need it. Because <laughs> you don't do what I do and I need it, right? Uh, to, get the, to get the equipment that I need and that, that I, that I um, you know, sometimes have to fight for otherwise. So just to set my, you know, my practice the way I want to set it up and not have to, you know, um, you know, break a brick wall to do it, right? So, um, so that's, that part is is some, something that I, I look forward to. Um, also, you know, it, it's it's exciting to me to build relationships, new relationships, and 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 uh, network in the community. Um, I think you know, obviously, you you have to be a, a social person. You have to look forward to meeting new people, um, and that's what we'll be we'll doing probably the first few years is just going out, knocking on doors, and and meeting people, and that's that's kind of exciting because it's it's you know, you open up a whole new world. Um, and so you can look at it as a nuisance and like, oh my gosh, I have to, you know, meet all these new people and, and talk to them. And, but, you, but it's great because it pushes you to step out of your comfort zone. You know, it, it, it pushes us to step, uh, you know, out of the kind of warm, fuzzy home and, and, you know, go out in the, um, you know, uh, kind of the less known territory and, um, and, and make friends. And I think that's exciting to me, you know? So, um, you know, I, I am concerned, you know, I do have worries and concerns and, and certainly, you know, uh, the amount of OR time we will be able to get, uh, although hopefully, you know, um, this isn't going to be much of an issue uh, because, you know, initially it'll probably be slow. So, so if, even if they give us, you know, one day a month, it'll probably be fine for the first, you know, few months. Um, you know, um, certainly, you know, employee, you know, situations and ability to retain employees, ability to properly train employees and, and uh, all the, all the, you know, sort of uh, legal stuff, you know. Um, so, I, I, like I said, I do have a lot of preparation, but still, it, it's like, you know, you learn how to swim, but until you get in there, it's, it doesn't matter, right? You gotta, you're gonna have to figure out how to swim. So, so some of the like legal, um, you, know, the, you know, administrative things and um, uh, just sort of, um, uh, you know, getting uh, up to speed with OR time, uh, finding OR time. Um, I guess those are some of the things I can think of. But um, but for the most part, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I will I will echo everything you you know kind of you just mentioned. Um, I think it's it's definitely exciting, you know, to start on this like new adventure, you know, uh, do it with my brother, with my best friend, you know, something I could um, dream of. And, um, you know, it's, um, yeah, that's definitely the exciting part, you know, also to build kind of our own brand and to be able to design, you know, practice uh, and, and make something authentic make something you know make it you know kind of the way 
I would want it to, you know, to be, you know, uh, with, with respect to procedures, patients, instruments, all that stuff. So that's definitely exciting. I mean, it's definitely nerve wracking. Uh, I mean, it's a startup. Uh, it's a new, brand new business. Um, there's, you know, we're, we're used to getting a, you know, paycheck every two weeks, you know, and, and there it's, a, it's guaranteed whether you're operating, you know, six days a week or you're operating once a week or not operating at all. You're on vacation. You still, you still get a paycheck. At least I do, you know, at, at University of Florida, right? So it's nice. It's nice to have that um, security. So, but that's, you know, in prior practice, it's not, obviously it's very different. You, know, you have to, you know, you kind of, you know, you get which, how much you work and how much you work. You know, if you work a lot, you're probably going to make more. If you work less, you're going to make less. Um, you know, and so that, that also brings me to a point, you know, like one of my, um, I would say, uh, one of the things that gives anxiety is actually uh, negotiating rates uh, with insurance companies. Since both myself and Ilya love doing reconstructive surgery, and we do want that to be part of our practice. You know, I can't tell you it's 50-50, going to 50-50 or 25-70, you know, it just depends. But we, we would like to do reconstructive surgery. Um, and, you know, but but honestly, you know, the, the reality of the reality is, is that we are kind of a little bit at the mercy of the insurance companies because if we, it's very tough to do, you know, reconstructive surgery, complex reconstruction, if you're not being fairly compensated for it. I mean, um, you know, Medicare rates are dropping. Medicare rates for 2021, if you get, if you guys get plastic surgery news, you know, there are constant updates uh, on, you know, those type of things. But, you know, Medicare rates, I think, I believe, dropped a couple of dollars per RVU for surgeons. So, for example, um, you know, if you do breast reduction and you get Medicare rate, breast reduction, you know, even somebody who is, you know, efficient, you know, it'll take me, you know, two hours, you know, but, you know, it's, it's 800, $850 or something like that, you know, and that includes preoperative visit, you know, the surgery, uh, the global period of 90 days, if there are any complications, you have to deal with it. You know, if you have to admit the patient after round, a deep flap, DIP flap, Medicare rate is, you know, approximately $1,500 for a deep flap. And that includes, again, pre-op visit, counseling, um, you know, the, the surgery, the rounding, the post-operative global period, is there any complications? So, so that's that's definitely a little bit nerve-wracking. You know, can you do those cases in prior practice? Is that feasible? Well, there, there are some surgeons that have figured it out and they do those cases and they get compensated well for it. But, you know, the question is how, you know, how do you do that? I mean, there, there are ways and we're looking into it, but that's that definitely gives me a little bit of anxiety because that's that that will largely kind of you know uh, guide what type of cases I can or cannot do. You know, um, so those are the things we you know it's kind of on my mind. We think about and besides many others, you know, obviously with the, like Ellie mentioned, employees and you know, kind of moving forward. Also. You know, one thing I do worry about and, and think about, you know, to be completely honest with you is, you know, right now, like if I do free flaps, I have residents, I have all the help, I have the ICU, the trained nurses, the staff, 
will I have that in Boise? Will, will I get hospital support? Will I get somebody to help me close? Yes, I can raise the flap into the micro, but I can't do bilateral GIP without somebody helping me close the abdomen or, you know, I can, but I'll be there forever do, do every all the suture, right? So, so those things I think about, you know, do I need, do, am I going to have to hire a PA to help me? Am I going to have to fire, hire a surgical assist? Do I get another surgeon involved? Like how to make that happen? And it, there, it's possible you can do it, but those are the things that, you know, you kind of have to think about as a reconstructive surgeon is it's, it takes a village, right? It's not just, just because you can do something uh, well, and, and you have done it well, doesn't mean you don't, you know, you, you need help, you need, you need support. Um, and those things are possible, but it's something that you have to think about and, and, you know, talk to the community, talk to the hospitals, talk to, um, you know, say the division, like if there's a plastic surgery division chief at, at a hospital, you have to talk to them and, you know, see, see what, what, what you can do. Does that make sense? It does. It does. Yeah. And thank you so much. I think looking at, at least hearing somebody who's thinking about both the pros and the cons and the, the positives and also some of the anxieties of, of this process is a really interesting one, especially from our standpoint of sort of at the midpoint or the early third of a six year integrated plastic surgery residency. One thing I would like to add uh, to Mark, um, Rosie, sorry to interrupt. Um, uh, I just wanted to add one thing is, is you know, nothing that, that you kind of makes you realize that, you know, uh, when, when you're a part of an organization, you know, you're, 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 you're more locked into a role and, and you're, you're kind of more locked into what you're given. The, the nice thing when you're on your own, you have a lot more flexibility, right? So like you, you, you try one thing, it doesn't work. You can, you're, 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 you can maneuver much faster and you can, you know, one thing doesn't work, you, you, don't, you, you go some, somewhere else, you know, you're, you're, you try something else. And you just don't have that maneuverability sometimes, you know, you're kind of locked into one location, you're locked into one surgery center, or locked into a couple of two or three, you know, OR, you know, centers. Here, it's, it's like nobody is, nobody's putting, a, you know, Mark isn't putting restrictive covenant on where I can practice. And neither am I putting restrictive covenant where I, Mark can practice. He, if he wants to go to this surgery center, fine. If he wants to go, you know, to this hospital, fine, you know. He, he, you know, or, or go to this office, you know, to, to do some Mosin reconstruction somewhere, you know, nobody's going to tell me or him where we can and cannot go. And that's the beauty, right? Like you, if you're, if, you know, it, it's just, it's your wit and it's your, it, it's, it's your abilities that determine your, your limit and not, not, um, you know, some, some, some organization that, that is, that is as control over you. Right. So, 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 so it's really for a person who I think is, 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 is uh, likes that type of environment and, and is driven and is able to, um, you know, um, find those opportunities. Yeah. I think that's one of the coolest things that I've noticed while talking to you both is that this takes a, a whole ton of planning and confidence and really, you know, specific management, but it also takes a lot of flexibility and the fact that you guys are so close is really advantageous and it's going to, it seems like it's going to, you know, create a great balance so that, so that this can be successful. I mean, I, it's, it's really cool to see. It's, it's very visible. Um, and I, I think that's something to strive for and anyone who's looking for this kind of practice. Um, just so excited to see how this is going to go. So excited for it. Is it the Leingold Institute of Plastic Surgery? Is that, is that that's where right. we're headed? <laughs> 
But we, um, we thought about the name. We kind of thought about doing something, you know, kind of more of a broad um, name um, since since we are kind of multi-specialty practice. And so I think I thought the Institute would work out. We thought the Institute would work out pretty well with the name. That sounds great. Is the Institute going to be looking for any fellows in the next few years? It's Maybe. possible. <laughs> we, we actually, we actually, um, you know, Elia and I were kind of talking about that. That um, we we do want to have a fellowship eventually, um, and so I'm I'm actually excited about also potentially still continuing training University of Florida residents. I talked to my division chief. I don't know if he's listening to this podcast or not. I don't, I don't think he is, but doctor, you know, you guys know Doctor Mass, Gross Mass, division chief in Florida. Yeah. But yeah, but he mentioned something that you know. He said he asked me if I would be interested in in having, um, you know, chief residents come out for a couple of months because we they do have UF residents do get an opportunity. I think they get two months elective their chief year to go and hang out, you know, not hang out, but go and, and learn from you know outside surgeons, whether it's you know within you know within wherever it is in Florida or wherever. Since they have a they have a a lot of options and and i have few residents that are kind of children just like hey you know can i can i hang out with you guys and uh when i'm the chief i'm like yeah of course i would love to have you so you know they want to learn plastics because you know with, with the plastic surgery residents we're all interested in eyelids you know because we we a lot of times don't get the training from our attendings and you know the proper training or the the, the, the all the procedures that we read about like how to do a huge flap or how to you know, do a total island reconstruction, you know, like they're, they're, so anyway, but, but yeah, so I'm excited about that and, and eventually hopefully having a fellowship, maybe something with, uh, you know, micro, even aesthetics and plastics, where, you know, the fellow would spend some time with me, you know, I'm hoping to breast reconstruction aesthetics and Elia will obviously do plastics, and, um, and uh, that, that could be a great experience, you know. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for coming on. I think that I'll speak kind of uh, for both Rosie and I in saying that it is clear uh, that your passion for both practicing medicine as well as working with one another is um, just huge. And I would say that that is infectious. And so we appreciate you uh, both for coming on, for speaking with both of us, and then for, uh, you know, by proxy, then speaking to everybody who's going to be listening to this podcast. Yeah. I mean, if anyone is listening in Boise, Idaho, go check out the Lion Gold Institute of Plastic Surgery. <laughs> well, we, we really, really appreciate you guys having us on the podcast. And, um, you know, it's a, such a just great opportunity to, you know, talk to, um, you know, residents and, and just be still, you know, part of some sort of educational, your educational component. Um, you know, just because again, education and like we, we all learn from our mentors, you know, plastic surgery and plastic surgery is one of those fields there. We learn, it's, you know, we'll learn from the mentors. We'll learn from someone has done it. And um, um, whatever I know, for whatever it's worth, I'm happy to pass it along. And you guys can make your own decisions whether <laughs> or what information you take away. So thank you. It's yeah. Pleasure, pleasure being here and, and sharing this with you guys and you know i love working with all the plastic switch residents i wish all you guys could rotate with uh with us too uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's time we'll uh we'll work something out we're very excited we've been so happy to talk to you guys all right. um yeah
So thank you. As a plastic surgeon with a unique vision for each patient, the more options you have at your fingertips, the better. Natrell is one of the portfolios available to you. To learn more, visit natrellsurgeon.com.